Can you imagine going through life and realizing that you were serving the wrong person? Imagine that you invested your life, you invested all of your emotional energy, your time, your resources into a project or a person or a job, and then you realize that it was a complete waste. Wouldn't, that would be pretty crushing, wouldn't it? If you were serving the wrong thing, if you were serving the wrong company, if you were serving the wrong job, if, if, if you poured your life into something and it just fell apart. Well, you know, there was a, a soldier in World War II who didn't know that World War II ended. And so he didn't surrender until 1974. Can you imagine fighting World War II 20 years after it ended? Almost 20 years after it ended? He had been told not to kill himself and not to surrender no matter what. And so all those years after the war was over, he was still fighting. He was living in the jungles in the Philippines, raiding farmers, until 1974, it actually took his commanding officer, the Japanese army needed to find his commanding officer, and they sent him into the Philippines, and he, he uh, went up to this soldier and commanded him to cease fighting and to surrender. And then this soldier was willing to surrender. Incredibly loyal, incredibly passionate. You know, he's on mission for so many years, but it was the wrong mission, wasn't it? Each one of us is going to serve something in life. We're either going to serve ourselves, we're going to serve our parents, we're going to serve our company, we may, some people may serve their greed. Some people may serve their, their physical appetites that they will pursue it, their, their physical appetites, and, and that's life. Life is enjoying the, the thing that they're passionate about. They're going to serve it. They're going to give their life to it. Each one of us will serve something. But what if you got to the end of your life and you realized that you were fighting the wrong war? We're looking at the Christmas story. And we're going to see the story of Mary. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And she calls herself a servant. And we're going to see what is she serving. And I just, But I just want you to think, just ask yourself this question. Who am I serving? Who am I serving? What am I serving? And then think, am I, you know, if I get to the end of my life and I look back what am I going to be holding so we look at this story and this angel shows up to Mary right this angel comes and in, in verse 26 it says in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth now Nazareth was a small town 
Uh, it was this, in English, we'd say a backwater town. People were kind of despised. Uh, you know, in uh, the Gospel of John, when they hear that Jesus is from Nazareth, one of the disciples, Nathaniel, he says, can anything good, or Philip, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, it's not Taipei. It's not Kaohsiung. You know, I don't know what an equivalent city in, in Taiwan would be, but it would be best as a foreigner for me not to say it. But everybody has those towns, right? You go wherever your home is. There's a town. You know the town. Nothing good comes out of there. There's nothing there. This was Nazareth. This was not a special place. This was a place that was overlooked. But Gabriel, the angel, is sent there. And we see that he was sent from God. God is taking the initiative. Here, God is sending his angel to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So Mary is this young woman. She may have been as young as 12 years old. They got married early back then. And the way a betrothal would work is that you would arrange, uh, you come into a, a contract agreement between the groom and the bride's parents. And there is a bride price that is paid. And it, that, that betrothal period, the engagement period, lasts about a year. And so this had already taken place. Mary has, has never been with a man. She's going to marry Joseph. And this angel shows up. Says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she's greatly troubled and trying to discern what this sort of greeting may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now the text, the Bible doesn't tell us anything Mary did to find favor. We know she's not educated. We know she doesn't come from a wealthy family. We know she doesn't come from a great city. She has no qualifications except God has found favor with that, that word favors, unmerited grace. She doesn't deserve it. It's God is showing her favor. So the angel says, don't be afraid. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, there's a lot packed into this that we as non-Jews don't understand. But for Mary, there would have been some things that, that suddenly popped out in her mind. What is this language? The first thing is he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Well, he will be great. The only one who is great is God. For Jews, the only one who is great is God. So the angel is is turning things up pretty hot right here. This is not going to be a normal baby. This is not going to be uh, an average man. He will be great, so already associated with God's, he will be called son of the Most High, and the Most High only, only refers to God. So right off the bat, he the angel is saying, Mary, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. That would be startling. Imagine you're in your room 
And an angel shows up and says, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And then she says, the angel says this, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Now, for how many, that phrase uh, doesn't really mean a whole lot. You're like, I have no idea what that means. I think I've heard of a David, but what is the throne of David? Anybody say, I'm a little, I'm a little, everybody knows this. Anybody confused? We got a couple people here. Tina, thank you. Tina doesn't know what this means. It's okay if you don't know what this means. Because it, it, it goes back to the Old Testament. The throne of his father, David. Well, David was the greatest king in Israel's history. And God made this promise to him that he would have a descendant on the throne forever. But then Israel went through exile. They went through this period where they had no king. And actually, it's still in this time, they don't have a king. They're under the Rome. And so God had made this promise, and yet it was unfulfilled. And so the throne of his your father, David. Well, if we go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet. He lived about 750 years before Jesus. And this is what he said about the one who would sit on the throne of David. In Isaiah 11, it says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. And if you can think of a, a tree that's cut off at the stump, you know, all you have left is a stump. What once was a beautiful, luxurious tree that provides shade and strength uh, is totally gone except the stump. And that was Israel. Everything was gone. Their nation was gone. Their cities were burned. Their sons and daughters were taken captive. There was only a stump left. And Isaiah is saying a, sh a little shoot is going to come out. God's going to bring life out of death. It says that from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. You know, the as we think about the world right now, how much would we love to have political leaders who know what to do? Uh, Taiwan is doing really well with COVID, right? But I mean, some of these other nations, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And it, how much would we love to have a leader who actually knows what to do? He's not guessing in the dark. Not, you know, the, who can look at the scientific data and say, okay, this is what we have to do. Who can gauge what the people need and say, all right, we're going to balance things perfectly. And this is what we need to do. We would love to have a leader like that. What does it say? Wisdom, that he will have the spirit of wisdom and understanding. What Isaiah, he's talking about the leader who's coming. He's talking about the king who's coming, and he, he's saying, first of all, he's going to have wisdom. And there's a, a scholar, Alex Moiter, he, he puts it this way, it's just the general capacity to have a right judgment in all things. The capacity to have the right judgment in all things. And Isaiah is saying the king who is coming is going to have the spirit of wisdom from God. He will know the right thing to do in all situations. 
He'll have understanding, the ability to see the heart of the issue. He will have counsel, the spirit of counsel from God, which is the ability to devise the right course of action, to make the right plans, to know what to do, to know how to do it. And then there's might, the power to see it through. Because we all have leaders. Some of them have no clue what to do, but they do it anyway. Others know what to do, but then there are other forces that are more powerful that prevent them from being able to take it forth. How, how many of us, you know, some of us have lived in, in countries where there's great injustice and there is evil in power and there's a leader who knows what to do for the nation, but the forces of evil prevent him or her from being able to do what's right. This is an issue almost every nation has to deal with this throughout history. And there's this longing inside of us, a longing inside of the world. Could we not have a leader who knows what is right and does what is right? And Isaiah is saying, the son of David, the son of the Most High, when he comes, this is what he's going to do. This is what he will have. And not only that, it says he will... I'm in Isaiah 11. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. How many people can't get justice because the judges go with the rich? Or they go with the powerful? They go with the connected. They go with the elite. And so if you're not elite, good luck. It's not going to happen for you. There's a longing in every nation for a leader who treats everybody the same. Who knows how to make wrong things right. And Isaiah is saying, he's coming. This king is coming. And the angel Gabriel is speaking to Mary, and this is who he's talking about. And so he knows what to do. He knows how to do it. He has the power to do it. He does it perfectly for each person. And then it says not only not only that, not only does he have justice, but it says he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He, he doesn't need an army. His word is powerful enough. There's no one who can, no evil that can stand against him says righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Now in the in biblical times the clothing you wore was an indication of what you did. It was your identity. Even today our uniform. You know you, you see they got a police uniform on you know what they do. It's a nurse's uniform you know what they do. He's going to have a uniform and the uniform is righteousness and faithfulness. We all want righteous leaders. We want people who do what is right and what is good and create space, create the opportunity for everyone to flourish. You know, there, there's situations when, when the political system is, is so twisted, when you, when you don't know what is true and, and, you know, fake news, everything is fake news. What is real news? And everybody says, this is what it is. And then someone else says, no, this is what it is. And, and we try to discern what is true, what is not true. And, and there's this long, I just want a leader 
who treats people right, who has wisdom, who can carry things out, who will take care of injustice, who will take care of evil, who will make it possible for the poor and those who are marginalized and isolated to flourish. I just want a leader like that. Isaiah is saying he's coming. And he's going to deal with evil. Evil people are not going to get away with their wickedness. The people who take bribes while the poor suffer are not going to get away with it. Then Isaiah goes on and he's using this poetic language to help us understand the transformation that will take place. The wolf will live with a lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. This is poetic language to say creation is going to be restored. Creation is going to be restored. The enmity between animals and humans will be abolished. It'll be over. There will be peace. The lions are going to become vegetarians. And it it says it's not just one generation of animals. It's right. Their children and our children will be able to walk together. There will be peace between humanity and creation. As we think about the world right now and, and all the talk of climate change and the way that the earth is being abused, what Isaiah is telling us is there will be a day when there is peace between all things. He goes on, he says, they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea in the day, the root of Jesse that's looking forward to Jesus and the angel is saying, this is who you're going to give birth to. He will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This ruler is going to bring peace to the nations. Nothing will destroy anymore. So when the angel says he will be great, he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob. That's the nation of Israel and of his kingdom there will be no end. That's what the angel is talking about. Now imagine an angel shows up in your room and says to you or to your daughter, if, if you're a man, imagine it was your daughter, you're going to give birth to this guy. All of the longings of humanity coming in a baby. But wait a second. She's a virgin. How is she going to have a baby? She's a little confused. And she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
Now she's betrothed to be married, so it would, you know, you could think, well, when you and your husband get married, your your first baby, this is the baby you're going to have. That would be normal. That would be okay. That would be socially acceptable. Parents would believe that. But what does the angel say? The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Joseph is going to have nothing to do with this. Which of you fathers, if your daughter came to you and said, Dad, an angel told me I was going to give birth to the Son of God. That's why I'm pregnant. Nobody's going to believe that. But the angel says, nothing's impossible with God. And here's Mary's response. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Think of how costly that yes is. How costly is that yes? Who's going to believe her? What is it going to cost with her parents? You know, in, in, in Mary's day, if you slept with a man that you were not married to in her situation, she would be killed. The law said she could be killed. I mean, it's, you know, if, if we even think back for those of us who are a little bit older, 20 years ago, 15, you know, 30 years ago, it was a big deal if someone got pregnant if they were not married. And, and people went away. They went away to other places. Now go back 2,000 years. What was it like in this culture? You would be ostracized for life. For life. Nobody in the community is going to believe this. No one is going to believe that God came to her and she was pregnant as a result. Nobody, her parents are not going to believe her. Joseph is definitely not going to believe her. And the community is not going to believe her. How much shame, how much abuse, how much insults, how much uh, rejection is she going to experience? Because she said, I am the Lord's servant. When she says, I am the Lord's servant, she is absolutely surrendered to God. Be it unto me. And then it says the angel departed. So she's going to walk through all this pain. She's going to walk through all this you know, confusion. People are going to gossip about her, slander her, reject her. Uh, she, her life may be in danger. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And the angel is not going to be walking with her. It'd be one thing if the angel was with you all the time, right? See, I've got my angel. Someone hates you and, and says, oh, look at her, look at what she did. And, and No, I've got my angel. No, the angel is gone. But she says, be it unto me. I am the Lord's servant. This cost Mary her reputation, her relationships. Imagine going through that kind of turmoil. 
But what is she saying? I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me. What was it about Mary that said yes? Because Mary, Mary's not going to be the queen on the throne. Mary is, is she's not going to be exercising authority. People are not going to be bowing down to her. What is God calling her to do? When she says, I am the Lord's servant, what is she saying yes to? It's not an amazing position of authority. It, it, she's not saying yes to being a YouTube social influencer or Instagram influencer. She's not saying yes to a book deal. She's not saying yes to a speaking tour in arenas. She's not saying yes to those things. You know what she's saying yes to? Pregnancy. She's saying yes to morning sickness. She's saying yes to going without sleep. She's saying yes to changing diapers. She's saying yes to doing laundry. She's saying yes to uh, preparing food. She's not saying yes to anything glamorous here. I am the Lord's servant. Mary is saying yes to a whole lot of pain and to a whole lot of the mundane. to the normal. And yet, she's found favor with God. It says, you found favor with the Lord. You're highly favored. What did that favor translate into? Changing the diapers of the Son of God. Isn't this stunning that God's plan was his son becoming a baby. You know, my my baby, seven months old, cries when he doesn't get what he wants, wakes up in the night, or at least I think he wakes up in the night. I don't know. Bo could confirm. A baby is completely helpless. It needs someone to take care of it. God's plan is to put his son, the savior of the world, the one who will bring about complete transformation to the earth in the care of a 12-year-old. God's plan doesn't happen unless there's a woman who says, I am the Lord's servant. I will take care of this baby. I will sacrifice my reputation, my standing in the community. I'll sacrifice relationships for the sake of the Lord. It's costly. Salvation is costly. And God invites Mary into that. I think if Mary says no, then God finds someone else. But Mary doesn't say, well, let me, let me check my schedule. Is there AC? Is there a stipend? 
you know, some of us, an angel could show up and say, the Lord wants us, you know, to do this. And we think, will there be air conditioning? Will it interrupt my bedtime? Will it cost me anything? And if there's any cost, we want to say no. Because we don't want to interrupt bedtime. We don't want to interrupt our finances. We don't want to interrupt our social activities. You know, God could be saying, I want to bring my salvation. I want to work. I have a plan. But we're saying, ah, it doesn't fit my schedule. It doesn't fit my timeline. It doesn't fit my financial plan, God. But Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Be it unto me. And because she said that, Jesus could come. But what Mary didn't know is he wasn't going to start conquering kingdoms. He was actually going to conquer death. And he was going to conquer death through death. And so the son that she bore died. She didn't become queen. She didn't get a place in a kingdom on earth. On earth, she took care of diapers and nighttime feedings and bandaging up cuts and clothing, hugging, mothering. That was what God's plan for Mary was, to be a mother, the mundane, just a mother. But it was through her yes that God could save the world. It was through her yes that Jesus could come. And so what if, what if this Christmas God is asking you to say yes to him? What if there is something that he wants you to do because he wants to bring his kingdom to Taipei? He wants to bring his kingdom to this city. He wants people to know that, that he is a God of love, that he is a God who knows their names. 95% of the people in this city think that the God doesn't know their name. And that every time they pray, they have to say, this is my name, this is my address, this is my birthday. That 95% of this city, and God knows the name of every single person. And he wants them to know his name. He wants them to know that he loves them. He wants them to know that the sacrifices they offer are not enough. It's the sacrifice of his son that is enough. But you know what? Just like God needed a mother, God needs a person. Because God doesn't send the angel to be Jesus' mother. God doesn't send the angel to declare the gospel. God sends people to share the gospel. God puts people in a church, and then the church is to be the light in the city. And God may be saying, I want you to say yes. I need you to say yes. And saying yes may mean that there's no AC. Saying yes may mean it interrupts your bedtime or your social activities. It may be uncomfortable and inconvenient. But maybe it's through your yes that people are going to come to know Jesus. Mary knew that her yes was going to cost her. If salvation cost Jesus everything, 
doesn't it make sense that our service would cost us something? If salvation costs everything, doesn't it make sense that your service to Jesus would cost you something? That it might be hard? That it might be painful? That it might be difficult? That it might interrupt life? We're willing to do painful things when we know it's worth it. We're willing to do painful things when we know it's worth it. People are willing to go to medical school. I'm not one of them. But there are people who are willing to go to medical school because they know it's going to be worth it. There are people who are willing to learn foreign languages. You've learned foreign languages. Why? Because it's worth it. We're willing to do painful, difficult things when we know that it's worth it. What are we willing to do for Jesus? What if he's asking you to say yes to something that's painful, difficult, inconvenient, uncomfortable? That's a sacrifice. Well, you're going to serve something, right? You could serve yourself. There are some people who go through life trying to prove to their parents they're someone. Did anybody see the movie uh, Free Solo? And nobody saw it. Nobody at all. Well, that illustration is probably not going to be effective. <laughs> but let me use it anyway because it's what I got. So there's a, a mountain face, a cliff face in uh, Yosemite Park in the United States called El Capitan. And, uh, you know, it can take people days to climb it. I can't remember how, Bo, do you remember how, how tall it is? Can someone Google it for me? How tall El Capitan? 900 meters. 900 meters tall is this sheer cliff face. People take days to climb it. Some people do. There's a man named Alex Honnold who he climbed it without a rope. It actually is probably one of the, the greatest athletic feats in the history of the world. He climbed it 900 meters without a rope. And the, there's a documentary about it called Free Solo because it Climbing without a rope is called free soloing. There aren't many long-term free soloists because they all die while they're climbing. Eventually, they make a mistake and they die. So he climbed this without a rope, and, and the documentary is you know just examining the journey, and it comes out, you know, why are you doing this? And really, it's, if you watch it closely, what, what happens is his parents were perfectionists, and Alex was never good enough. He never reached perfection. Whatever he did, whatever test, whatever sport, his parents were never satisfied. And so what, what comes out is he's climbing Al Capitan without a rope to prove to his parents that he's good enough. He doesn't say it in that many words, but what he says is free soloing is as close to perfection as you can get because if you're not perfect, you die. 
But you, you see that for this event, this is driving him. It's his desire, his longing to be approved by his parents that is driving him. Some people serve their parents. Some people serve their career and they will pour their whole life into their career to get the money they want. Or they're, they're trying to please their spouse. Each one of us serves someone. You're serving something or someone right now. It could be your own dream. It could be your family. We each serve something. And the question is, when, when you die... What are you going to have left? Remember the Japanese soldier in the jungle? He didn't know the war was over. He didn't know that it was finished. He didn't know that he was wasting his life fighting a war that wasn't even on. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant, be it unto me. She is completely surrendered. Whatever you want from me, God, I will give you. And it's costly. And it's painful. And it, it costs her everything. And yet, where is she now? Her sacrifice made the way for each one of us to get to God. Her willingness to partner with God makes the way for Jesus. It's not Mary's sacrifice that forgives us of our sin, but her yes enables Jesus to come. You don't know what God can do through your yes. You don't know what God could do if you would say, I am the Lord's servant. Be it unto me. Salvation is costly. Sacrifice is costly, but it's worth it. It is worth it. got one more example, but I'm afraid that nobody's going to know what I'm talking about. Anybody here of Second Life? Okay, Ronald, thank you. Oh, we've got one person. This illustration will be meaningful for you. Maybe nobody. Second Life is it's this world online where you have avatars. You create your own avatar. Or did anybody see the movie Ready Player One? Okay, there we go. So Ready Player One is also this online world and you create an avatar and, and you can meet people online, you can talk to people online, you can do things online, but eventually your phone is going to die. You can have a, this digital life, this digital reality, but eventually you'll be disconnected because you're going to lose power. The, the phone dies... The program shuts down. There's a virus. We understand the fact that digital reality is not reality because it, it's over. Well, there's a digital reality. There's a physical reality, right? Here, here's the physical reality. We're in this life. But the thing is, this life will eventually end. The plug will be pulled. The power will be lost. And then what we'll be left with is a spiritual reality. Imagine someone, and there are people in Second Life, they live their life 
in digital reality. Their friends are in digital reality. They're, they just want to live for that. People have lost marriages over Second Life, over what's online. But it, it ends. It turns off. You can live your life for, for the physical reality, but eventually the power is going to be turned off on you. And you'll be left with a spiritual reality. And so what if you live for the spiritual reality now? What if you live for Jesus now? What if you say, I am the Lord's servant now? Be it unto me. There is salvation that God wants to bring to the earth, but he does it through people who say yes. And Mary was not qualified. Sometimes we think I'm not qualified. What qualifications did Mary have? She didn't even go to first aid class. Can you imagine the Son of God going to someone who doesn't know first aid? And yet God sent her to Mary. Mary's qualification was that she was willing to say, yes, maybe we say, I'm too busy. I've got too much on my plate right now. Maybe we have the wrong plate. Maybe there's things that need to come off the plate. I don't want to. I don't want to say yes. I want the life that I want. Then what you need is to make Jesus bigger. To play it out. Where am I going to be if I live for myself? What's going to happen if I live for myself? What will happen if I live for Jesus now? Salvation is costly. It costs Mary everything. But look at what God could do through that yes. He could bring his son into the world to save. You don't know what God can do through your yes. I can tell you he wants to use you because he wants to see Isaiah 11 come to pass. And he does it through people. So the worship team comes on up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Mary's yes. We thank you that she said yes to you, even though it was so costly. Lord, we pray that we could have the same heart, the same attitude, that we could say, I'm the Lord's servant, be it unto me. Lord, I pray that we would live for the spiritual reality. We would live for eternity and not live for the physical realm like some live for the digital realm. I pray that we would see beyond this life. I pray that we would see that you invite us to partner with you. Oh, Lord, may you touch us. May we say yes. And I pray that we would be willing to say yes to the mundane, that if you're calling us to do things that don't seem right, maybe you're calling us to serve, to set up chairs. Maybe you're calling us to do administration. Maybe you're calling us to host people in our homes. And it's, it's 
not a platform. It's, it's not this grand thing. It is the mundane. Uh, it's a, a place of service. Lord, I, I pray that we would say yes. I pray that we would see that the part that we play is, is small. Is, is smaller than what we're a part of. And that what we're a part of is much bigger than our small part. I pray that we would be willing to do the small things, that we would be willing to serve, that we would be willing to bear a cost, that we would be willing to sacrifice. We would be willing to give you our life because we know how precious it is to be your servant. Lord, I pray for those who feel unqualified, that they would hear you say the only qualification you want is a yes. I pray for those who would say that they're too busy, that they've got too much going on. Lord, I pray that they would submit their plate to you saying, Jesus, you can take anything off you want and put anything on that you want. I pray for those who just don't want to give you their life, who just don't want to serve, who want to stay in control. Lord, I pray that they would see that if you can heal the nations, you can heal their heart. If you can restore the nations, you can restore their family. If you can transform creation, you can transform their home. I pray that we would see that you are a God for whom nothing is impossible and that we would desire to be no place other than the place of your servant. Oh God, I pray that for us as a church, there would be a change. Jesus. Let's stay.